He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We interviewed the travel manager for the Grizzlies, and we said, Hey, Andy, talk to us about what you look for when you go on the road to play other NBA teams, what are you looking for in a hotel? And he said, if you're talking to management and ownership, they'd love to be in a Holiday Inn because it's a much better rate. Mm -hmm. If you talk to the players want to be in a Ritz-Carlton or a Four Seasons, they want to be in something really nice, but they're not writing the check. We are. And he said, so something in between there. And so we started to throw out some upper upscale brands and we landed on Weston. So we then went to Starwood. At that time, Weston was under the Starwood umbrella and now under the Marriott umbrella. We went to Starwood and we said, hey, we want to develop a Weston hotel. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast. Now, let's begin. Running a short-term rental business is challenging and time-consuming. Whether it's 10 units or 1,000 units, trying to keep up with the latest trends, technology, hardware, revenue management, guest support, and R&D, it's become almost impossible and increasingly more expensive for the everyday host. On top of that, all of this tedious work does not allow you to focus on what matters most, and that is your guest. Luckily, this will no longer be a problem. Introducing Journey's MOS, the newest and most advanced tech solution in hospitality. Journey's MOS provides you with a one-stop solution that will automate your entire operation and take care of all of your back office work, allowing you to fully focus on growing your business the way you want to. To learn more about MOS, visit Journey online at journey.com. That's journey, J-U-R-N-Y.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. And I am excited for this one because we're going to get into hotels once more. Uh, the podcast, uh, we've very much shifted towards vacation rentals and technology, but 
Uh, getting back into some entrepreneurship within the hotel space is really exciting. So I get to welcome Glenn Malone today. Glenn, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Will. It's a good day. I appreciate you having me on. Of course, of course. So the way we normally start the show is easily just by going into your story. Where did you, um, you know, where'd you get started? And of course, where are you today with your own business? And it sounds like uh, from our, our pre-chat, you're developing some more projects and I'm very excited to dive in with it with you today. So let's just jump in. Where did everything begin for you, Glenn? Well, it's interesting. Everything began when I was in high school. Uh, I was a junior in high school. I got called to the office um, thinking, what did I do? I don't, I'm, I'm a pretty good kid. Yeah. I go to the office and the, uh, they say, Hey, you need to see the counselor. I go in to see her and she said, Hey, I just got a call from the holiday Inn. They're looking for a bus boy. Mm-hmm. And they said they want someone with a good work ethic. And I immediately thought of you and, uh, I said, fantastic. <laughs> uh, this was my first job. And yeah. so, um, I went and interviewed for the job and became a bus boy. And I've been in the business. I was 16 then. I'm 59 now. So a lot of years. A lot of years. A lot of years. So tell me about the evolution of that. Did Because uh, we all know busing is not a sexy job. It, so, like neither is housekeeping, none of that stuff. Um, yeah. What during that time of being a bus boy, what was that? What was driving you to want to learn more and to, and to you know continue to grow within either that brand or just in hotels in general? Yeah. Well, frankly, I was motivated to take a job, take that job because I grew up very humbly. We just did not have that much yeah. uh, financially speaking. And this was an opportunity for me to make some money for myself. Sure. Uh, but, you know, what was it like um, looking back on it? I'm so thankful that I started kind of in the trenches, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I was a bus boy. I was a dining room waiter. I was a banquet waiter. I was a banquet captain, just kind of worked up through the ranks on the food and beverage side, then moved over and worked on the room side some too. And that has really uh, paid dividends, uh, you know, in my career uh, because I can appreciate where people are coming from that are doing that work. Uh, So it's been good. I was with Holiday Inn. I don't know how far you want to go into all that, but yeah, so I was with Holiday Inn uh, from 1978 uh, until the uh, mid-80s. And in the mid-80s, um, actually in the early 80s, Holiday launched Embassy Suites. Mm. And about a year or two into Embassy Suites, I started working with that brand. Um, by this time, I had gotten a college degree Holiday Inn had uh, basically been my vehicle to go to college, yeah. uh, both in terms of earning money and Holiday Inn had a uh, tuition assistance program. So um, <clears throat> I had my college degree. I started working for Embassy Suites in their early days as, it, as that brand launched. Got some great experience now, more on the finance side of the business, mm-hmm. doing financial planning with them. Then a couple of years later in 1988, Holiday launched uh, the Homewood Suites brand, uh, Homewood being an extended stay brand. And so I literally was in on the ground floor at Homewood Suites working on that brand launch. Great experience again doing financial planning. But, uh, you know, when you have a small organization and a startup, yeah. everyone wears lots of hats. So you get lots of different experience. And I began to get exposed to the development side of the business as well. 
Uh, we developed eight hotels uh, during those uh, initial couple of years with Homewood company owned and managed hotels to launch that brand. That was really my first taste of development and I loved it. And so went on from there, uh, did a short amount of time with Hampton Inns, which was also a brand launched by Holiday. All three of those brands, Hampton, Homewood and Embassy are now under the Hilton umbrella, mm -hmm. but launched by Holiday. And <clears throat> so I uh, worked with Hampton and then I got a call to go to Springfield, Missouri and work with a guy named John Q. Hammonds. Uh, if you don't know that John name Q. That sounds really familiar. Okay. Some, some of your listeners may not. John Q. was an early developer uh, in the Holiday Inn franchise system, developing the 75th hotel for Holiday Inn that he opened in 1958, obviously before my time. When I joined John in 1993, uh, he had about 35 hotels, predominantly Holiday Inn hotels, a couple of other brands, but very nice hotels, uh, many of them atrium-style hotels. Uh, and so uh, I went there, and basically we recapitalized his company. So, again, it was a great, you know, it was kind of like being thrown into the pool. you got to learn to swim. One of those scenarios, again, uh, was, was in New York and Washington, D.C. a lot, uh, working with different investment banks, looking for a way to recapitalize the company. We had a, a couple of hundred million dollars of debt coming due. Wow. And in 1993, when I joined, we were just coming out of a recession. Uh, banks were not making loans on existing cash flowing hotels, much less new development. Yeah. And we were trying to fund new development. And so uh, we ended up doing a, a public bond offering uh, there uh, in New York, and we, we were actually able to raise $300 million, which allowed us to pay off the $200 million of debt that we had coming due. With that extra $100 million of proceeds, we were able to get the company back into development. Wow. And so... Uh, and then we did a, another bond offering for $90 million and a, an IPO as well. So... During the time I was with Hammonds, we raised about a half a billion dollars. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's, and that's, yeah, yeah, and we used the, the the net proceeds from all of those capital raises to develop hotels, you know, basically out of cash, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we're taking these bond proceeds and we're developing hotels. As we get the hotels open, now we're into the mid-90s. Financing was coming back for the hospitality industry and we were able to put debt on those hotels after they opened, that debt brought cash back into the company that we could continue to use to develop. Mm -hmm. So while I was with John uh, there in the 90s, we developed 20 hotels. Uh, we only developed one more Holiday Inn. Uh, we convinced John for the quality of the asset that he was developing, we should go with more upscale uh, brands. So we really got into development of embassy suites in a big way. Uh, we also did uh, Marriott, Sheraton. So those types of brands and uh, had great success during that time. Uh, it, was, it was a great ride for me uh, with John. He, he treated me like a son. Uh, I just, he was, a, he was a joy to work with. Um, in the late 90s, um, I, I had an opportunity to come here to Nashville, where I still am today, yeah. and I joined Gaylord Entertainment. Uh, Gaylord owns the Opryland Hotel in downtown Nashville here. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it's almost 2,900 rooms, wow. 600,000 square feet of meeting and exhibit space. Now, I didn't mention this while I was with John Q. Hammonds. These hotels we're developing are two to 400 room hotels with meeting space probably typically in the 20 to Oh, we had a couple that were even at a hundred thousand square feet of meeting space, gotcha. but predominantly, you know, you're in that, you know, 20 to 60,000 square feet of meeting space. I come to Nashville and go to work with Gaylord and it's like another leap <laughs> forward in terms of just these massive convention hotels, 2,900 rooms, 600,000 square feet of meeting and exhibit space. Yeah. So I, but I came here not only to oversee the operation of that hotel, but also Gaylord wanted to begin developing these types of convention hotels in other markets. And they did not have a development team. They didn't have that expertise within their hospitality group. So I came here and with others, we built a development team that developed the Gaylord Palms uh, and the Gaylord Texan both of those hotels similar in size, each of about 14 to 1,500 rooms each, each of those hotels having 400,000 square feet of meeting and exhibit space. And before leaving Gaylord, we had also secured the site for the Gaylord National Harbor Hotel. Now, all of those hotels that I just mentioned, those large convention hotels are now under the Marriott umbrella and managed by them. Yeah. That occurred after I left the company that they brought Marriott in. Um, so, uh, so where am I today? Uh, I'm a co-founder of Well and Good Partners. Uh, we are a small partnership that provides development services to third parties. Uh, and we also are developing, uh, hotels that we will manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one hotel today that we've developed. It's a Weston hotel in downtown Memphis, Uh, It's on a ground lease from the city of Memphis uh, within the Bill Street Entertainment District. Um, And the hotel has been a great success. And we are now working on other projects and other markets uh, to develop those while at the same time still providing development services to third parties where where we won't manage. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's quite the experience. Like the there's just so much to unpack from that. And for me, I want to kind of ask you because. This is where this is where it gets fun because I I started and I, I love that you mentioned the uh, statistics of the hotels whether the room count the square footage of event space because I'm the same way I started a 717 room hotel 60,000 square foot event space valet three restaurants in in room dining all that stuff right like it's still ingrained into our heads and I, yes. I find it really fascinating with the hotel people because you, I don't I don't think I've ever met one hotel person that couldn't quote almost every property they've ever worked at by that statistical like count of rooms, uh, square footage of event space and whatever extra amenities, right? It's just- yeah, a- absolutely. I think, you know, whatever you do uh, that you love to do, you know about it. I mean, yeah. if you're a, if you're a NASCAR driver, you know, that car inside and out, you can tell me everything about it For sure. because that's, that's your love. And yeah. so that's the same with us. hundred percent. And it just, yeah, it, it, it brought a smile to my face as you were saying those stats. I was like, okay, yeah, this is, it's through and through. Um, but I have a question for you because you, you went, you started out with the holiday Inn and going through school through their tuition assistance, plus all the other stuff that you were doing. Uh, I'm kind of curious along your journey, other than with, um, with John, was there a particular mentorship? Because I found 
in my my time when I started off at that hotel, the the one thing that made me move on, and not just made me move on, but like I it was kind of the start, the the ripple effect of why I was like, hey, I'm gonna go explore different types of hotels, whether they're independently owned or different brands. I love the Marriott brand, so I stayed with that for a while. But my thing was mentorship. I couldn't really find a good mentor other than like my managers. Yeah, we became friendly and nice, but they were always so busy in revenue meetings and doing all the other stuff that was going on behind the scenes. I had to be at the front desk. I couldn't really leave. I was anchored. Um, I would even show up early, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, um, mentorship I found to be very hard in the space. But with you going through school plus leading up and through throughout your career, did you have a particular person or, or group of people that really just kind of took you under your under their wing? Sure. Uh, I, I think of a couple of people. Uh, one was a guy named Dave Jones. Um I, I first went to work with Dave when he was heading up uh, uh, the international franchise system of Holiday Inn Worldwide. Mm. And uh, and so Dave was a mentor for me early in my career, for sure. Um, uh, and, and I would say my mentorship may look a little different than some, maybe especially today. Yeah. I think a lot of mentors today are are very intentional about kind of building a plan for how you know, how Will's going to mentor Glenn, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, this was more similar to, uh, you know, I would say similar to my father. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I grew up on a farm uh, and I worked alongside my father on the farm. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned as I worked with him. Mm-hmm. And so that was the kind of mentorship I had with Dave. He put me in great opportunities to grow and working together, I, I grew under his mentorship. The second person I would mention is is someone I already have mentioned, and that's John Q. Hammonds. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said earlier, he treated me like a son. Uh, I worked side by side with him uh, while I was in John Q. at John Q. Hammonds, and and when you spend years working next to someone, you learn from them. Yeah. And you know, John was uh, I forget. I think he was in his mid seventies when I went to work there. I was in my early thirties. And so, you know, I'm looking at him almost like a grandfather, right? I mean, he's, he's so much senior to me, but he, he, he was kind to me and spent time with me sharing about what he looked at, what he was concerned about when he looked at developing a hotel. Uh, I learned more about the operations from Dave Jones. I learned more about development, probably uh, working with John Q. Hammonds. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. It's a good combination of mentorship, you know, operations versus development, uh, completely two different beasts, uh, you know, but separately, but together they can actually really cohesively uh, help. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I bet you've learned a ton. So can I, can I ask you what, what uh, key things did you take from John as now that you guys developed the West end, um, you know, what were, was there a piece of John that was with you when you're kind of going through that process? Well, I think one of the big things when I was at John Q. Hammonds, I was not only working on development with him, but I was also uh, overseeing uh, uh, the hotels. We had five regional vice presidents. uh, And so uh, working with those five regional vice presidents on the operations side, then working with Hammonds and the development team on the development side. What I, I think one of the big things I learned was you are a better developer if you've been an operator, mm-hmm. uh, because when you've been an operator, when you've overseen the operation of hotels, 
you learn what works well and you see the hotels that don't work well. You see, you know what, this hotel has, you know, whatever. It's got 40,000 square feet of meeting space and it has one loading dock. Yeah. That, that, that's, a, that's a pain to operate that hotel with that much space with only one loading dock. And you start to learn, you know, that, lo- that hotel should have had four loading docks, not one. Uh, for move in and move out of events in the space. So I think, I think that's one of the big things that I was benefited by was, was having the operations experience by the time I really got into development with John. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so let's talk about your, your development process with the Westin. I'm really curious because one, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Westin. I stayed at one, uh, how many months ago? It wasn't too long ago during the pandemic. Uh, a big, big uh, loyalty rewards program fan. So uh, anytime I can stay with uh, with that brand, I I, I will. Um, but let's let's talk about it. Like I'm curious to know where did you even begin when it comes to? I guess do you look at the brand standards first or the the, the flagship that the the requirements with that? Where where do you even start? You know that hotel, that Weston Hotel in downtown Memphis. Here's how it started, and this is not uncommon. We were engaged by a gentleman who decided he wanted to develop a hotel, Mm -hmm. but he had never developed a hotel before. He had worked in real estate, but he had never developed a hotel. People typically that work in real estate, but not in the development of real estate, realize if I'm going to, if I'm going to create a project, I better get some expertise on my team that has developed before. And so that's how well and good became a part of that project. And we worked on it for about three months. This gentleman had a vision for the hotel. He thought he wanted a, a a small, maybe 80 to a hundred room boutique hotel, Mm -hmm. non-flagged. Um, and, uh, and so we came into the situation and what we do, what we always do, we looked at the market. Yeah. And one of the things we noticed about the market was there had not been at that time a, a franchise branded hotel developed in over 20 years in that downtown market. Wow. It, had, yeah. it had had some great boutique hotels developed, but not a branded hotel. Second thing we noted was the site was directly across the street from the FedEx Forum. Uh, the FedEx Forum is an, an arena specifically designed for basketball play. So the University of Memphis Tigers play basketball there. The NBA team, the Memphis Grizzlies play basketball there. And so, you know, and then we knew there was a lot of entertainment and so forth going on there. And we thought, you know, we want to win that business that's coming to the forum. How do we do that? Yeah. And so... Uh, all of these things, those are some of the things, but a lot of different things come into the picture to help you evaluate the market to determine what's the best product and service to provide to capture that market that, that you have the biggest opportunity to capture there. And in this case, we felt like there was a real, um, uh, there, there was a lot of opportunity. There was wide open space for an upper upscale branded hotel. Uh, the world famous historic Peabody Hotel is in downtown Memphis, uh, but it's it's almost 500 rooms, has a significant amount of meeting space. We knew we couldn't be that. We only had two thirds of an acre site to develop, and so we knew it was going to be a smaller hotel. But we also said, you know, 
for for what we're going to have to do to pay for the lease, the site there, we're going to need more than 100 rooms. So those things start to come into play too. How big's this hotel need to be in order to cover the economics of the project itself? And so we decided we needed to be closer to 200 rooms. Um, we we actually would have liked to have gone to about 250, yeah. uh, but we are located in the uh, the Beale Street Entertainment District. I think I may have mentioned that earlier. Mm. Well, that's also a historic district. Uh, these are Beale Street's called the home of the blues, and so there are clubs on Beale Street that operated back in the 20s and 30s. And so there's this historic street. Uh, we are we are uh, within that district, and so the state historic commission here in Tennessee said we don't want a huge skyscraper towering over this historic street. We want to we want to do our best to maintain the character of the area. So we said, well, how how high can we develop the hotel? And they said, we don't have a standard per se. Make a proposal to us. Mm. So. We looked at the FedEx Forum across the street from us, and and it's about nine stories at its peak. And we said, how many rooms can we get in nine stories? And it turned out we could get a couple of hundred rooms. And so that's what we took to the Historic Commission, and they approved it. A couple of other things. I mentioned the NBA team, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. We went into this project saying we want to be the host hotel for as many of the visiting NBA teams that are coming to Memphis as possible. Um, And so as we considered what brand for the hotel, one of the things we did was we went and we interviewed the travel manager for the Grizzlies. And we said, hey, Andy, talk to us about what you look for when you go on the road to play other NBA teams. What are you looking for in a hotel? Mm. And he said, well, you know, um, if you're talking to management and ownership, uh, they'd love to be in a Holiday Inn because it's a it's a it's a, a much better rate. Mm-hmm. If you talk to the players, the players want to be in a Ritz Carlton or a Four Seasons. Yeah. You know, they want to be in something really nice, but they're not writing the check. Yeah, we are. And he said so something sort of in between there, and I, and so we started to throw out some upper upscale brands, and we landed on Weston. I've said this on Slick Talk many times before, and as time goes on, it becomes more and more true. Operators have been so used to multiple logins, different dashboards, and overall segregated data points for their hospitality brand. I'm proud to say this is no longer going to be the case for the industry. As a podcast partner, Journey MOS is made for operators by operators. One dashboard, one solution to keep your business in shape and ahead of the competition. If you think this is too good to be true, then you need to go to journey.com. That is J U R N Y.com to learn how journey MOS can get you ahead of the big players in your market. And now back to the episode. Uh, so we then went to Starwood at that time, Weston was under the Starwood umbrella and now under the Marriott umbrella, we went to Starwood and we said, Hey, we want to develop a Weston hotel. And so they looked at Memphis. I mentioned earlier, there hadn't been an upper upscale, there hadn't been a branded hotel period developed in that market in over 20 years and, and really not a lot in the upper upscale space. 
And Starwood, just looking at the, the reports that they had, said, we don't think Memphis is a Weston town. Really? And uh, so we said, well, can we buy you a plane ticket to get you to come to Memphis? Because we think it is, we think it's a great Weston town and we'd like to show it to you. And so they were gracious and said, sure, we'll come. And so they came to Memphis and actually paid for their own ticket. Oh, wow. uh, but they, <laughs> they came to Memphis and we walked them through what we were seeing in Memphis. And by the t- end of that day, they left and they said, we agree. Memphis is a Weston town. This wow. would be a great place for a Weston. So we turned in our franchise application. We got approved and off we were off and running. I mentioned the hotel has, uh, it's sitting on less, right at two thirds of an acre. Yeah. So we didn't have a lot of horizontal horizontal space to work with there. And we wanted all of the meeting space on one level. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have about 7,000 square feet of meeting space in this hotel, 203 rooms. Um, it's, it's a great balance uh, and it's really worked well. Um, one more thing I'll just mention, and then I'll stop so you can ask more questions. (laughs) Well, here's another example of what we do when we look at development, we look and say, what about this hotel might really draw the market to stay here? What can we do? Maybe that's a little bit different. And obviously there are some things you can do from a service perspective. There are some things you can do from a development perspective, service perspective can be copied right? What you do on the development side is more difficult to copy. And so what we decided to do was we said, this is a nine-story hotel, Will. We said, okay, the top floor, the top floor is going to be taller ceilings, taller doorways. We're going to push the shower heads up on the walls Mm. so so that we can go out to the NBA and say, hey, you know, all your players that are ducking to take a shower and they're yeah. stepping over into a, a tub shower combo. We're putting a walk-in shower in every single guest room with a separate tub from that. So a four fixture bath in every, in every bath, every guest bathroom. So your players are going to be able to walk into a shower. And by the way, on that ninth floor, they're not ducking. Yeah. I mean, Glenn, Glenn's a five, seven guy. I've got to <laughs> jump kind of to adjust the shower head almost, you know, but for these guys, it's perfect. They walk in and they can stand there and take a shower. Yeah. It's, li- it's little things like that, that we say the little things make big differences. Sure. And so that's an example of one of the things we did to, to appeal to the market. No, that's, that's incredible. And I, I just was writing down like the amount of hustle that you guys had before this property was even close to being signed off on a brand or anything, but going to the NBA manager, going to the the franchise and telling them, Hey, we're going to pay for you to come out. Like what was driving you guys to get this one property, like this one spot, this one development product. Like I would have the amount of people, the amount of work that it took you guys. And it sounds like a lot more other than just the things that you mentioned, it, people would have given up easily. They would have been like, all right, let's find the next development project. What was so special about this one? Was there anything in particular for you guys, or were you just hungry to get that first one and make it a, a huge success? Yeah, good question, Will. Um, you know, I didn't tell this part of the story. The gentleman that engaged us, after about three months, we were telling him, John, it needs to be a franchised hotel. It needs to be larger than what you're thinking. Okay, well, what what does the budget look like for that? And we're giving him a rough order of magnitude on the budget. And he's like, 
this is way more than I intended to bite off. I, I, I really don't think I should try to take this on. And again, that's not uncommon. We have that a lot with clients and that's totally understandable. But what was interesting was he turned to me and said, why don't you develop the hotel? And we were, you know, we had been providing development services to third parties, as I described briefly yeah. earlier. And, you know, we, we just started talking with him well again. And we said, you know what? Um, this would probably be good for our fee development business yeah. to be able to say to a, a, a Will Slickers, hey, Will, you're wanting to develop a hotel. We're working on your team. By the way, We've been where you are now, yeah. not just with Gaylord Hotels when I developed there or with John Q. Hamm's Hotels when I was developing there. I've done it personally. Yeah. I understand the financial risk. I understand the stress of it. You know, we know what we know what it takes to get a project done. And it's, you know, uh, nothing's easy in terms of hotel development. But I will say an upper upscale hotel full service is more difficult to develop than would be a roadside limited service hotel. Why? Because it's just a more complex operation, right? Once you add all of the event space to it, once you add restaurants, bars, these things make it more complicated to operate. And so it also makes it more complicated to develop, to get those components right. And then last of all, full service hotels are larger. And because of all those amenities, they're, they're just quite a bit more costly to develop than a limited service hotel. So that, that keeps a lot of people out of development of full service. But, but anyway, John said, why don't you guys develop it? We said, you know, we left there and we said, you know, this could be good for us. Uh, it could help bolster and drive our fee development work. And so we said, yeah, let's take this on. Mm. And that was really the catalyst that got us to thinking about developing the hotel. Um, it was, it was challenging. It was difficult. We took personal risk. You know, one of the things I haven't mentioned, Will, um, we, we've done a lot of different financing mechanisms through the years. Uh, I was first exposed to those with John Q. Hammonds. Yeah. He was an out-of-the-box thinker in terms of how to finance projects. And so one of the things we did on the Westin Hotel in Memphis was we secured new market tax credits. Um, new market tax credits are a federal tax credit program uh, that allows for developers of real estate projects in low income census tracts to receive these these federal income tax credits. Mm-hmm. Well, we happened, even though it's a great area of town, it, the, the census tract is pretty large. And so it picks up uh, some areas that aren't as quite as advantaged. Yeah. And so we qualified. Uh, but we were on the front end of that wheel <clears throat> that we there was we were the first new market tax credit deal to get done in the hotel space and one of the first ever and so you know you're learning the ropes yeah you know it's kind of like on the job training right For it's sure. like you're thrown in and you got to figure it out and so that made the financing more complicated took a while to get it done but it was all worth it we've had we've had a great run with this hotel and looking forward to doing it with others well, I, I remember on our pre-chat, I was telling you about, like, I've been to Beale Street. I've, I've been to Memphis. I was there for a project, and um, I honestly think I've drove by your hotel in an Uber. Uh, I was, you know, obviously all over the place. But um, on that project that I was on, it took a long time. Like, I remember I got I got um, 
I guess, activated for this project in a very early stage. And it was like, all right, like we want you to consult for a technology, blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, great. Sounds good. Let me know when the hotels are, are the properties are ready. And then months later of like, Hey, like, we still doing this? Like, I got your tech stack. I got your partners. I'm like, ready. Like, let's go. Like, oh, yeah, we're still waiting on the finances. We're still waiting on the finances. Is that a, a normal thing, even pre-COVID? Because it sounds like this was obviously definitely pre-COVID. But um, I, I'm just curious, does, does it take that long to, to get this thing going off the, off the ground? Yeah, I, I mean, again, for for larger projects, for sure, it takes a while. Even even for a limited service hotel, this is not falling off a log, right? right? Uh, these are these are projects that cost millions of dollars. So yes, it takes some time to get a hotel financed. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a group like us, you know, we're not deep enough financially to put up all the equity yep. that's needed. So. We not only had to arrange the debt on the hotel, negotiate this new market tax credits uh, deal, but we also had to go find equity to mm-hmm. join with us on the project. And so, uh, and that became, you know, every project's different, but staying with the Weston, you know, the city of Memphis uh, said, hey, uh, we want this project to create an opportunity for minorities. And so we would like for you to agree to have 40% of the project developed by minority subcontractors or, or constructed by minorities uh, and 25% of the equity to come from minorities. Mm. So that complicated it a little bit too, because now we've got to go and find those types of subcontractors, those, those types of investors. And we did it at the end of the day. And I think it's, it's really been a good thing that we did it yeah. because we, we involved a lot of locals in the project, both from building it as well as from investing in it. Uh, and so it's, it's truly a, a Memphis hotel. I love that. I love that. That makes it all the more complications make the story even that much greater, right? Like the, just the little things that you have to constantly work on. And you don't think it's a big deal, like finding my own, finding minorities to help build and like, and be investors shouldn't be a hard thing. But like, you know, at the end of the day, it's another thing to do in, in a, in a, a long list of ordered domino effect type tasks to, 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 right. get, to get it done. Um, so that, that's pretty interesting. It's really interesting. So, you know, another thing that complicated it, Will, was I mentioned earlier, it's a ground lease. We don't own the ground. It's owned by the city of Memphis. And a ground lease is harder to get financed Mm. than is fee simple, you know, dirt that you own. And so uh, it just complicates uh, the loan process. So, uh, there, yeah, but it's been a great project and a lot of fun. Yeah. So how have you guys handled during the pandemic? I'm just kind of curious from, uh, are you, you, you're managing the Western, right? We are. Yes. Good question. We've managed it since it opened. Uh, you know, we were in really literally in the crosshairs of, of the impact of COVID. The hotels that have been impacted the most by COVID are urban hotels and upper upscale hotels. And we're, we're square in the bullseye, both of those. So, you know, uh, just to give to, to paint that picture for you clearly, in April of last year, that hotel ran six percent occupancy. Mm. Six. You know, if someone had asked me pre-COVID, 
is it possible to run s- single digit occupancies on your hotel there in Memphis? I would have said, no, it's, it's impossible. I, I, you know, I've got to think of a scenario, maybe because an atomic bomb goes off in Nashville, you know, that, yeah, okay, there's no business in Memphis. It, it, I, you know, you can't even think of that. Sure. And yet with the government shutdowns, it happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, thankfully, uh, we are in that Bill Street Entertainment District that I mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, Will, one of the sectors that came back quickest was uh, leisure transient travelers. Yeah. You know, once the lockdowns ended, people were like, I've got to get out of the house. Where are we going to go? Now, the company they worked for was saying, work remotely. We don't want to expose you you know, stay at home, just work from home if, if that's possible. But, but, but the individuals were saying, I got to get out of the house. Oh, and, yeah. and even more so now they're, they're continuing to work from home even after the lockdown, but yeah. they've got an opportunity to travel personally. And so thankfully we, we've got the Bill Street Entertainment District that fe- feeds us. We've got the FedEx Forum as they started to play basketball again. You know, the NBA season was uh, delayed last year. Yeah. Uh, the start of 2019-2020 season, I'm sorry, the 2020-2021 season was delayed. But once it started, that brought people back to the hotel, brought teams to the hotel. Uh, we had a whole COVID protocol for the NBA teams. Talk about, you know, a challenge to meet all of their requirements. Yeah. Uh, but those things really uh, helped us to come back. So, you know, it's it's like any hotel, wherever you are, if you're challenged from a business perspective to gain occupancy, you've got to look at your market and you've got to say, where do we have an opportunity? You know, we looked at the market and said, we don't have an opportunity for business transient travelers. Almost completely, we didn't have an opportunity for the group traveler, right? Groups were not holding meetings. Uh, Those are just starting to come back. But we said, hey, uh, you know, when we began to see leisure come back, we said, we've got to go after that hard. So that are, that had our focus from a marketing perspective. We went big on social media. Uh, uh, you know, I have to a shout out to Dog and a Duck, our PR firm. They, they did a great job getting us into social media in a big way. So those things over the months since COVID first hit have helped us come back at the West End. You know, we're still not back to where we were, no. but, but we are uh, well on our way. Oh, that's awesome. I, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a crazy time. I, you know, like I told, I think I told you or somebody else uh, earlier, it's been a long day of podcast recording, but, uh, I, you know, a lot of the audience is vacation rental focused, but with my background starting in hotels, I still have a good chunk from when I was a young front desk agent uh, to, to front office manager. Uh, that still follows along the show, and it's just incredibly to see the the push through that you know hotels get because you know, they've been the one of the slowest ones to recover. Um, yes, and just because of the obvious reasons of people and communities, and you know more interaction when crossover or exposure of COVID and all the other stuff that goes into it. Um, but no, it's really good to see that you guys are are well on your way out and. You know, as a big fan of of the brand, I, I'm I'm excited to to see it come back and flourish and have that life in the lobby like it used to. Um, yes, I I miss those days and and so yeah, it's definitely really exciting to hear. But my my I guess one of my final questions for you would be to what's next with 
what you're doing with, are there more projects in development? Are there, you know, are you guys going to develop more hotels or are you just more going to be focusing on, on honing into your, your services to third parties? I'm just really curious on that one. Yeah. So we have a couple of things we're focused on, uh, a couple of projects we're focused on. And with COVID hitting last year, we began to really look and say, okay, where can you develop a hotel, right? Because so much of the demand is just not there. And so we started looking at markets, knowing that everything we just talked about over the last five or 10 minutes, the leisure travelers back out there, how do we get in front of them? And so we have identified a couple of markets uh, where leisure travel is big. And that's, that's where we're going with our next couple of hotel developments. Uh, you plan one to be is, flagged or independent? Um, well, one will be flagged. Uh, we're under a confidentiality agreement. Can't say anything about that flag yet. The other will be an independent hotel. Hmm. Um, but, but, you know, uh, you know, one of the markets is, uh, is Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, right at the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, number one visited national park in the United States. Yeah. Bigger, bigger, more visitors there than Grand Canyon. Most people think it's the Grand Canyon, and <laughs> yeah. they're big, but not not even close to the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, so that's one, and then the other one is Panama City Beach, another drive to destination. Yep. People, you know, can get in their car. If you have a COVID flare up or some other pandemic in the future and people don't want to fly, that's a place they can get to uh, in terms of a drive-to market. So that's gotten our focus on those two projects. And we're really excited about what those markets offer. Just briefly on on Pigeon Forge, you know, as we evaluated that market uh, last early this year, we said, hey, let's run an updated report on how the hospitality market's doing there. In the fourth quarter of 2020, the market performed not not significantly, but slightly better in terms of RevPAR, you know, room revenue generation yeah. than it did in the fourth quarter of 2019. Wow. H- how many markets do you know of in 2020 that had a quarter that was better than 2019? Yeah. Not many. So uh, that that's what attracted our attention to that market and also Panama City Beach. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear more. I guess, obviously, once those projects uh, get off the ground or once they're done, we're going to have to have you back on the show and, and, and go over a highlight of how they went, what, what the struggles and overcomings were with that one. And yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a good part, too. I'm excited. Yep, we are too, Will. Uh, I'm, after this uh, call with you, I'm, I'm hopping on a call with a potential investor in the project for Pigeon Forward. So we're actively uh, working on the finance side of that project. Awesome. I love it. Well, um, I love my final question for all my guests is where can any of the listeners that are scrolling through the show notes, where can they find you? Is there a certain place you want to send anybody? Um, is it a website, a LinkedIn, a Facebook, whatever, you name it. Yes. Wellandgood.com. W-E-L-L-E-N-G-O-O-D. Wellandgood.com. You can find all of our contact information for me, the rest of the executive team here. And we'd love to talk to you about your project. Awesome. Well, you heard it first here, Slick Talkers. Go ahead, check out all the show notes, and make sure you like, subscribe, and follow everything well and good. And, Glenn, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Thank you, Will. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, possible. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. 
So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on SlickTalkThePodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. As I've been growing my business and finding new ways to add to my property portfolio, I have to think about how I can anticipate the homeowner's needs, just like I do for my guests. One of the things owners always ask is, how is my property going to be protected? What happens if something gets damaged or worse? These are valid questions and concerns, and I have an opportunity to address these concerns before they even get mentioned, all thanks to having Safely as part of my toolkit. I can ensure all stakeholders are covered during a guest stay and use this information as a way to grow my business by ensuring my property owners know they can trust that I have them covered. If you're a professional property manager, then you need to get safely in your tool belt so you can focus on operating and growing your business. Thanks for listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, back to an episode. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, then you are amazing, and thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill-out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast.